This Magic the Gathering podcast and many more can be heard online at manadeprived.com slash podcasts. Leave a comment and tell us what you think. So I understand that you experienced some non-justice in a recent modern tournament. This is true. Well, after last week's uh, article, I decided to apply these lessons to uh, a modern tournament over the weekend. So, so the lessons of the modern tournament is just to play correctly. That's the. That I mean, the I did article. play correctly, yeah. but uh, justice was not in my favor. So top I... right, play right, win. Bottom left, play bad, lose. So you were what? I was both top right and top left. I guess top left because I lost in the I think that you're probably tournament. bottom right most of the time. Bottom like, right? Play bad win, yeah. What? Disagree. But I, I didn't play. So you were top left? I I, you went so. 4-0 in the Swiss and then lost in the finals, right? Yeah. So what was this top left situation? Top left means you actually make a decision. Your decision is right, then you lose. I mean, I think I just made fine decisions playing burn, but... um. One of my opponents did not make their, the best decisions in the Swiss, and then uh, I got crushed in the finals where I got extremely, extremely unlucky. So I would just point <laughs> out that you're not allowed to count it when you screw up and then like come back and you're like, oh, that's a hero story, and then they screw up and then come back. That, that can also be a hero story from their perspective, right? So I didn't screw up. No, you've done that before, though. Sure. Like you screwed up and then come back to win. That's true. Right? But so this cat. We had like an aether vial and just forgot to put the counter there on. Really, in the Swiss, there were just some multiple triggers that were missed by my opponent. But then in the finals, he didn't make those mistakes against you. He That's made it true. to the finals That's and true. then murderized you. Well, yeah, because I, I had to mulligan very aggressively. <laughs> I'm just saying, them being bottom left isn't the same as you being top left if you don't win. Sure. All right, so... All right, well, anyway, welcome to this week's episode of An uh, Ancestral Recall. I'm Roman Fusco. And I am Michael J. Flores. So, welcome. Uh, So, Mike, what are we going to be reading today? Today we're going to read an article called Flores Friday, Asking Better Questions. This article comes to us from Star City Games Premium in the month of May 27th, 2011. All right, so this is not one of the super old ones. That's like six, six years, years ago. old at this point. Yeah. So uh, this is one of Jerry's favorite articles. Though, so. Really? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I just thought I'd throw it out there. I, I like what Jerry's been doing in the world of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, I, I like his podcast with uh, Michael Majors. All right. Flores Friday, Asking Better Questions by Mike Flores. We were pouring over some Google Analytics data, the CEO guy was very frustrated, which anyone could see. He was a missing a VP, filling in himself and doing a fairly bad job of both jobs. He wasn't sleeping much. Board pressure had him pull the trigger on a new website that wasn't ready for prime time. We had invested God knows how many millions in developing it, but in its first month, we bled maybe half a million more off targets. Maybe more. Everything seemed to be going wrong with tech. 
there were more and more small problems creeping up. No one had seen this coming. This other thing was costing us with Google. They forgot to undo the robot blockers from the beta site so engines might never find us again. <sighs> Why can't we do anything right? Why can't we do anything right? I looked at him with daggers. 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 <laughs> he had been Bezos' strong right hand building the book group at Amazon. He was our CEO and could certainly drop me at a moment's notice. Didn't matter. Unacceptable. Never, ever say that again, I snapped. You're the leader, the coach. Everyone here works for you. Never ask it, never think it, and absolutely never say it. He was perhaps understandably taken aback, but he never asked the question again, at least in seriousness. Sometimes he would nod at me in a meeting and ask it, like it was our personal joke. But for the most part, he never said it again. Why can't we do anything right is a perfect example of a terrible question. It is perhaps the worst question a CEO can ask of another key decision maker. I mean, for one thing, and especially at the time, I felt like I personally could and did do quite a few things right. But think about this question for a moment, why it's so awful. How do we answer it? This question isn't, what did we do wrong? Or, how can we do such and such better? This question presumes that we do everything wrong and asks us to think up reasons justifying this conclusion. It isn't, what does 2 plus 2 equal? But rather, why does 2 plus 2 equal 4? Insidious, poisonous language. Ooh. This is an article about the questions we ask and why improving them can improve, well, everything. Successful people in any arena generally have a better quality of information. They have better data and can be more decisive because of that. And one of the reasons that they do so much better in the world and what it is they are interested in doing well in, is that they ask better questions. A few weeks ago, we had an article regarding decisive sideboard crafting. We can't, can't, can't develop the best sideboards in the history of magic by asking ourselves how a matchup plays out, but rather how we want to craft the matchup to the percentages we need. All right, so asking the better questions, how can we fix the problem rather than it seems like we can never fix the problem. I would never even... I'm not I'm sorry. I wouldn't, I wouldn't phrase it that way. I think that the article says you can just say where you want to go, right? So sure. let's say you have a matchup and you're like, well, how do we get to zone 34 on the map, okay? Or you could say, like, this matchup feels like it's going to, like, zone 56. You know, like, how do we win if we're in zone 56? You know? Mm. But you might just be like, Actually, I feel like playing in zone two. You can come along with me or not. I'm going to zone two. Okay? And the thing about being in zone two is sometimes peeps is just, they're not armed for zone two. I'll give me an example. Uh, this is uh, less of a side, this is less of a sideboard thing than what we've been talking about recently, right? But think about the card Deflecting Palm. So I remember playing against Death Shadow Zoo. Uh, in the tournament before the PPTQ I won, mm -hmm. I, like my opponent had a Death Shadow on play, and I had sided in three Deflecting Palms, because that's how many Deflecting Palms I had in my sideboard, right? Sure. 
He's got a Death Shadow. I've got like a Swift Spear. He goes, all right, Thought sees you. I show him my grip. I could have cast a card, but I didn't. My, car, my, my hand is like spell, palm, palm. He goes, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, well, presumably you take a palm. And then he's like, well, then what am I supposed to do? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not on your side of the table, but you certainly can't win. Right? Like, <laughs> like, like you, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. He's just dead, right? Because I, I just drove us to zone two. And in zone two, he doesn't have any way to win. Now, the more recent modern Death Shadow Jun decks, like not really Death Shadow Zoo, but these Death Shadow Jun decks, like they've got a bunch of Inquisitions, right? So Yeah. If like you're if Inquisition, Four Thoughtseize, yeah, so if, you're, if you're mono palms on your strategy, like palms are probably still gas against them, don't yeah, get me sure. wrong. But like they're not this deck that like has like two Thoughtseize or whatever to interact with you. Like they have eight, eight. Thoughtseize and Inquisitions. They could like presumably like maybe if they have information that you have palm, then they just don't attack, right? Until they've gotten you with enough thought seizes or, or inquisitions that that they're not gonna lose. But that's pretty tough, you know, road to hoe. You know, like cause we're just in this zone. He doesn't have sufficient tools to win the game. I drove us there, right? This isn't like just, oh, here's a card that's good in this matchup, right? Especially at not even this time in my life in like 2011, but especially maybe five or six years earlier, I was like super into just crafting these esoteric sideboards that that made the games very, very different than the, the textures of game one. Uh, and we can, I don't know, talk about that in another date maybe, but I think that people, let me think. For, like, here's an example. Like when you look at a teamer, Dynavolt Tower deck right now, right? And okay. like the only dudes they have are are only Torrential Gearhulk in the main deck, right? But then they could side in Long Tusk Cub, right? Or like Whirler Virtuoso. Well, Long Tusk Cub is a better example, sure. right? Because they're they're not siding in Whirler uh, Virtuoso very often, right? Either they play that kind of card in main deck sometimes, or they just don't play it yeah. at all. But Long Tusk Cub is the kind of card they very often have in their sideboard. And the reason that it's it's very different is because a, it's fast enough that it comes down in a matchup where the opponent, maybe their defense is permission, right? And it comes under permission. Because unless you're, you know, unless you're either on the play or you have the card horribly awry, it's very, very hard to answer with permission. And once it's down, it's also just hard to answer in general. Like, if you played a first turn attune with Aether... It's like it's a difficult card just to remove, right? You have, like, an energy reserve already. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can make it so that it's hard for them to kill. For example, with a, a creature destruction card that they are apt to have in their deck in a sideboarded game against, you know, a creature-poor or semi-creature-less deck. For example, Harness Lightning or Incendiary Flow. And right? like Fatal Push. Well, there wouldn't have Fatal Push. Yeah, probably, I know, I know. Right? So, but they might have Harness Lightning just because it nets energy, or they might just have Incendiary Flow because it's like just rando go to the face, and they, you know, they only had so many sure. cards to take out. Like, there's a lot of cases where Incendiary Flow will just kill a Long Tusk Cup, right? But in the context of this deck, maybe you can't kill it on turn two this way, and then once it hits you once or twice, right? It's it just, just out, of, it's yeah. out of flow range. It's never going to be there and again. So, doing these kind of demi-transformations allow you to steer a matchup at a, just a place that the other person doesn't have tools to play with. And I mean, that's something that's done right now. The deck that won Grand Prix Porto Alegre had a, you know, semi-transformational sideboard. 
I think that you're often doing this with cards like, I think Tireless Tracker actually is maybe the best example of a card like this. Mm-hmm. It dramatically changes the texture of a lot of games. It's a pretty substantial threat that's like medium fast, but it also does stuff like give you permanence to sacrifice to set up your fatal push. Mm-hmm. You know, so like it draws you cards like with your evolving wild. Yeah, and, and if stuff. you don't have an answer for it, it just wins the game by itself. Sure. Right. So it, I think that's pretty interesting. And that's about like not just you know, people have these cards like, well, what's what's good against Mardu? Like, okay, here's a here's a great specific example. People say what's good against Mardu. And they identify a Mardu deck from game one, which is a deck full of two ones, one twos, three ones, three twos. Basically, every card in the deck is like cold to Kozilex Return or super cold to Flaying Tendrils, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, man, <laughs> I'm mono shock. I'm mono Flaying Tendrils. Gonna mess up some Mardu. And then after sideboard, they're like uh, Mono Nahiri. Mono Chandra. Yeah, Mono like, Chandra. Mono. And hey, they're just like, yeah. you're like, what the? You have like everything wrong. And they just, they just like very slowly and methodically put themselves in it. You're just not in the right square, man. Yeah. Like the, the metagame square is like six million squares big, right? You could get, I'm gonna get near zone 56, right? They're like, they're on zone 73, you know? Yeah. You just do not have the cards in or This was like them. something back in uh, Grand Prix Pittsburgh, which was like the week after the Pro Tour. And we're talking with friends and saying, um, coming to the conclusion that some other people came to the conclusion was, uh, do you want to bring in Transgress the Mine if you're green-black against Mardu Postboard? Because their, their plan is to wreck you with... Maybe. Like the, I, I don't know. Like, I, the, like the, I like the black-white deck that has... Unlicensed disintegration. I like that version much better, and that deck is much more apt to go mono planeswalkers after sideboarding. Yeah, so many good like just go long cards and sweepers and stuff like that. But I think that the red heavy deck is not as good at this. Sure. You know, they don't really bring in Obnixilis, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Like, it's a crapshoot, dude. Like the Mardu deck could just have like Fleet Wheel Cruiser and Archangel Avison after sideboarding. Or, sure. I don't know, or just not do anything. Well, weird. The, the example I'm trying to say is that um, I know. At least at, at Pittsburgh, we were expecting Mario to have like Fumigate's post board for Green Black and a bunch of you know bigger answers. So I thought it was right to bring in at least two copies of Transgress. I mean, I Black. think that's a great point, right? Yeah. If you have the tools, or maybe that's just an argument about how you should construct your Mardu deck. But there, I feel very little reason why Mardu deck shouldn't have all the Go Long cards and Fumigate after sideboarding against Green Black. Its creatures are kind of awesome but only if you have the initiative yeah right like the the 3-1 guy is pretty bad on defense you know or what's he i guess three two, all, all the three one guys are bad on yeah defense. like they're bad on defense like some of the guys can't block and you're just actually just gonna get roundhouse kicked to the nuts by <laughs> um you know virtuous Ver- girls or whatever yeah. so it's just way better to be like oh, i'm just gonna hear you that pap ticks though all right especially if you're playing uh, scrap heap scrounger like a lot of those cards are getting in scrap <clears throat> let us continue asking better questions a hot topic among my playgroup right now is high tech ancient misers are talking about what to play in the upcoming gp and high tide is being bandied about as an option this leads to stories about the first time high tide was available dialing it back all the way to the pro tour rome or tall tale the consensus is that the good guys had the wrong deck in Rome, survival of the fittest. Even when they could burgle a game won on bad operations, the opponent declare which lands he was untapping with Time Spiral, for example. The matchup was inevitable. 
at least with the tools at hand. Zvi wrote an article 10 or so years ago on how he won a PTQ with the failing good guy strategy after Rome. This week, I devoured the entirety of Chad Ellis's excellent blog on negotiations. We talked about Chad Ellis, I think, last week. Uh, he wrote the article, Danger of Cool Things. We, we mentioned that last week, right? I'm not crazy, right? I think so. Maybe I'm just, I'm just forgetting. It's been a long week. Danger of Cool Things. Anyway, that's his most famous article. Chad tells a story of almost optimal question asking. Teddy Roosevelt's election squad has printed up three million flyers supporting their candidate. Expensive. An oversight is that they did not first obtain rights to the photograph used. Potential disaster. As using the aforementioned photo sans license could result in astronomical fines. Asking them if anecdote holds true, money-focused, and mercenary rights holder. To use the photo at this point would put them in a precarious negotiations position, given the sunk cost of the already printed flyers, plus potential fines incurred. Easily in the millions. And this is back when millions meant something. So, just to frame this story, Teddy Roosevelt's crew have printed up three million flyers that have yeah, a picture in it. Yep. They don't own rights to the picture. Okay? So what do you do, right? You ask the rights holder. Hey, You've already sunk bazillions of dollars into this. Yeah. You can't distribute them without possibly incurring fines, right, or incurring the wrath of the rights holder. So, we're talking about actual history on this. Actual history on this. So, this is this is a situation, right? What question did Teddy's ingenious strong right hand ask? I'm going to read this one. We are printing up hella lotso Teddy flyers. Mad PR to the photographer who gets his pick on them. How much will you pay us to use your photo? The answer is 250 bucks. Sick. That was sick, right? <laughs> like, we'll use your photo. How much, like, how much do you pay us? They, like, flipped, like, $3 million in fines to plus $250. Nice. This <laughs> is just super hella gas. Like, that's, that is the example of the, the we're trying to do with uh, asking better questions. So we can learn. What will you pay us <laughs> to use your photo, Pep? All right. That's a hell of a lot better than negative three million in fines. Using actual history yeah. for magic lessons. Actual history. Great. Successful people ask better questions. Let's run through some bad questions and see how we can improve them for better results. Shouldn't we just ban Jace the Mind Sculptor in standard? So this article apparently was written before Jace the Mind Sculptor got banned in standard. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I think so. And I think I won a 5K with Jace the Mind Sculptor in it after this, so presumably yes. <laughs> This question has a lot of problems, which range from bad assumptions to vague goals. We need to break down the question at multiple levels in order to figure out what is going wrong here and why otherwise smart or reasonable people might be asking this one. The first one is, and maybe we want to use it to springboard to a better question, what do we want in a standard format? Let's assume for a moment that the answer to that question is a vague answer of diversity, or at least more diversity. Well, the next question could be, how much diversity do we want? This is an issue right now. It actually is. I actually hadn't thought about this, but this is, like, very similar to, to what, what we're like, dealing with right now. Should we ban Felder Guardian and... Well, let's, let's see what this Charger. article posits on this, right? I ended up being wrong, right, because they banned Jason the Mind Sculptor in Standard, but, you know. Yeah. I'm going to, for the sake of argument, say five decks. Here's the big invalidator. There are already five or more playable decks in pre-New Phyrexia Standard. In fact, you go back to the media around the release of Mirrodin and Besiege, the conversation is all about Koldotha Red. 
Valakut's continued dominance, despite being legal pre-Mirrodin besieged, no one was clamoring for a Jace ban at the time, and what will happen around Tezzeret. We were even having contests regarding how many ways you could think to deal with Thrun the Last Troll. Jace has been around for more than a year. If Jace were really the problem, don't you think the problem might have manifested sometime before the last few months? Wouldn't Jace have won all the tournaments between Worldwake and now? But it didn't. Jund was dominant and people played more lands. Various Nyadex did well. Red Deck Wins was the best. Pyromancer's Ascension was the best. Jace was always there but not dominating, for the most part. The better question is, what changed to make Jace so dominant? Because I am writing this on my iPad on the train, I'm going to shortcut what I would usually use to wax philosophical for a while and skip to the conclusion. Pre-New Phyrexia, Jace was never the problem, or even a problem. If anything, Jace was part of the solution. The sameness of the top eights is actually a symptom of a very good format, we'll get to that later, where merit is rewarded. The problem, if there was one, was Stoneforge Mystic, and the proximate cause was the printing of Sword of Feast and Famine. All you have to do is watch any Cobblade mirror involving at least one player at greater than 50th percentile of playability to see that the argument should never really have been about Jace or anything regarding secondary market price. Playing for top eight of the New York City Nationals qualifier, Josh Ravitz was, in the deciding game, outdrawn three Jaces to zero, one Gideon to zero, and his opponent had Squadron Hawk slash Sword of Feast and Famine going. The game never, ever looked close. Josh dominated him with a lone mortar pod. Just played better. Left mana open when he was supposed to, tapped it when he was supposed to, killed hawks so they couldn't suit up, just kept attacking. He had even gone second this game. Last week in the elimination rounds of the TCG Player 5K I won, Phil Napoli with two Amiria Angels to zero and all the squadron hawks in the world connected using Sword of Feast and Famine on Dave Shields' face, forcing him to discard Jace, simultaneously attacking his other Jace to resolve Jace. The life totals reflected Batterskull versus War and Peace, so it wouldn't be over anytime soon, or so we thought. Back then, you could preempt a Planeswalker or the Planeswalker the same Yeah, this is before the, the Legend yeah, so, back in, like, 2014. So, do you know who Dave Shields is? I know the name. Dave Shields won the Grand Prix where there were 32 preordains, 32 Jace the Mind Sculptors, oh, okay. and, uh, and uh, 28 uh, Mana Leaks in the top eight. So, Dave Shields won the highest skill tournament that ever happened. So, he's a part of this story. P-Naps, we talked no, we talk yeah, about Yeah, I know right? P-Naps. Uh, P-Naps smashed him. In the, P-Naps is supposedly winning, right? Mm-hmm. But I'll give you, it, Shields wins the match. <laughs> Shields, from no cards in hand, simply managed his life total, played P-Naps into a spot where he could clean up if he top-decked Day of Judgment, which he did, and wrote a superior experience in the mirror to game three win. What is even more amazing is that along the way, P-Naps drew two more cards named Jace. They had essentially no effect on the outcome. No one who wants to make the format more about skill would make the argument against Jace. But what about diversity? As I already said, I don't generally like formats with more than about five viable mainline decks. Preparation becomes impossible, but for brute force. And pre-NPH, we had a format with more than five, actually. The proximate change with Mirrodin Besieged was Sword of Feast and Famine which supercharged Stoneforge Mystic and enabled what I consider to be the greatest standard deck of all time in the context of one of the greatest formats of all time. Why? 
Let's ask a question. Here's an okay but not great one. What do you value in a standard format? Again, let us jump through nuance, iPad considerations, and get to the money shot. I want the better prepared player to win about 90% of the time. You don't want him to win 100% of the time. That's chess, not magic. We want luck and roguish surprise. We want Adrian Sullivan to actually be able to win with his bruise if he puts in enough elbow grease. But the bar should be high. We don't want dice rolling. Formats I hate, fairies, affinity block, correlate to about 75% if everyone makes generally good decisions, but jump to like 95% in favor of ruthless ones like Sam Black or PV, with those extra points garnered by willfully suboptimal deck decisions by the opponents. LSV once told me that summoning a puppeteer click sickened him, but to do anything else was just stupid. Mm. Note how different that swing is from what we experience today, especially around cobblade mirrors and color tuning. Formats I personally love, masks, block, anything involving champions of Kamigawa, favor prepared players even more than 90%, but I would be willing to concede that formats I love often correlate with weak primary market sales. They're not exciting to the average player on flash or card power. Master deck designers love degenerate inequality because it gives them the most opportunity to exploit their superior understanding of math and margin. They just don't want to play the same ones over and over. Contrast with format, everybody hates. Second Dead Guy Red, most of Jund, where preparation gives only like 60%. Who wants that? That's right. The guy who top decked the second Fire Blast. You got your seven Blightnings in three games. Is that the format you want? Is that who you want hoisting the trophy? So we're in like a pretty similar situation right now. Yeah, this is like, I didn't really realize how prescient this is. Yeah. I I, I, hate... I don't know. I don't particularly like the current format, but the last one before the Reflector Mage ban, the reason I didn't like it, if I just said one thing, it was just when you watch two players play blue-white, one player can be Owen Turdenwald, and the other player can be like just a dude who doesn't make a lot of horrible mistakes. He plays like in the 52nd percentile. I think Owen has like a 5% edge on that guy. Really? I hate that. Right? Like, it's just too, like, the, the, the cards are so fast, it's so tempo-oriented, and they're, like, automatic, like, oh, like, it's just like, oh, I'm gonna cast this thing, I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, you're casting a key card, maybe a Gideon, something like that, and I, I'm going second, you're casting a Gideon, let's see, should I spell Queller it? You know, I'm, I'm really thinking about this. You know, I don't, I don't know, Roman. Should I spell Queller it? You know, or like, let's say I have like, oh, okay, I've spelled Queller you three times already because that's how that format went. And you're casting a Fumigate. Oh, let's see. Huh. Should I cast my Archangel Avacyn? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not, I just don't know. I just don't know. Or the cards were so compacted, so fast, you know, like, so intuitive, like... Look, yeah, I, I just remember I just played these games where, like, my opponent just went, like, Rattle Chains, Rattle Chains, Rattle Chains, Spell Queller, Spell Queller, Spell Queller. Like, those are the only cards he played. Just played his first Rattle Chains, and I think I, like, tried to play out of playing against a 2-1 creature perfectly, and all he does is go, like, Chains or Spell Queller me every single turn while attacking for 2, now attacking for 4, now attacking for 6, right? Like, my big crime was I went second. Like, it's... That is from some perspectives, extraordinarily maddening, right? I, I get that. I don't think that it's as bad in terms of that that particular game right this second. I think that it has gotten better because they banned 
I mean, it's weird they banned Reflect. I mean, nobody plays Spellcaller, which was the most, not the most dumb card, I think, but, like, pretty powerful. It's a, it's a dumb card, but you just can't play it right now. It's just like when you tap your Marvel, right? And you're like, oh, well, you know, there's, a, the... there's an Ulamog and a Puzzle Knot. <laughs> you know, if I pick the Puzzle Knot, I get I'll, some more energy. Yeah, I'll, be able to, I'll be able to use my Marvel again if I remember to sacrifice it. If I remember to sacrifice it. But I think I'm just going to go with the Ulamog this time. <laughs> right? Like, it's just, what? <laughs> Like, the cards are so intuitive, you know? Yeah, I got Gotcha. I, I really want Standard to go back to more. Like, when I first started playing, I guess, in tournaments, this was, you know, back when I was two years ago, I miss Siege Rhino. I miss Abzan Charm and Els- maybe, maybe not Elspeth. You know what's but... great about that format? What? You could have played at least three different Siege Rhino decks, probably four or five different Siege Yeah, Rhino there's, decks. like, Abzan Aggro, there's, like, more dedicated, like, other Abzan Aggro is a completely different deck, right? With, yeah. With, uh, like Boswell's deck. Yeah, there's two different decks. There's like, and then like a whole range of different controlish Abzan decks you could play. But there's also like Esper control decks. And like, then yeah, there's the like Mardu deck that just had Siege Rhino in it, right? Yeah. Me and Patrick and Sam Black made a deck that was like Jeskai with Siege Rhino. Like it was, you could play all these different decks, right? Yeah. And the, it's just, you could cast your spells and you could play them in different configurations. I thought that was awesome. Well, so here's the thing about I, I'm kind of going to make a parallel uh, to the Jace of the Mind Sculptor thing. So right now, everyone's kind of in a clamor about having followed our Guardian Ban or Gideon Ban or both. And Gideon always wasn't the most impressive card, right? I, I find intuitive. Gideon impressive right now. No, I, I know, I know, but um, back a year ago, like when Blohan won the Pro Tour and he had Gideon in his black white control deck, it is like an incredibly inoffensive card. Mm. It's like I'd be like, yeah, slam four Gideons in that strategy somewhere in your seventy-five, but nobody like nobody's getting their ball taken away because you played Gideon. You know, like yeah. it's just fine. It's a great card, but it's not oppressive, right? But sure. now it's like a completely different complexion of. Play. We have part of Kieran. Well, yeah, I think you're starting on three ones or whatever, and then the yeah, part of, and part of just, Kieran, and then it just you curve out. And it's so you have to use all your mana on your own turn to try to just not get killed by these fast attackers, and then they just slam Gideon, and then. The, it's There's over. no good answers to it. So, let me just, before we get back in the article, spec, the kind of arc formats I love so much are the ones where you could theoretically play, like, 20 decks or 25 decks or something, but people really only play three or five. Yeah. So, I like those a lot. So, like, when I won in Utah, I was just like, I made this strategy. It was a really awesome strategy. It was doing really well for me on Moto. But I really just thought everyone was going to play Esper and, and Mono Red. So I made a deck that would always beat Esper and Mono Red. Mm-hmm. I played against Mono Red and the Swiss three times. I went two and one because I, you know, that's good enough, right? Yeah. Then I played Teamer twice, which wasn't even on my list of decks that was viable. And I beat Teamer twice, mm-hmm. made it top eight in first seed. And then I finally got to play against Esper, which was like the easiest matchup on earth. <laughs> I got to qualify for the Pro Tour. You know, but I really like the formats where you can prepare. You just like, some level of preparation is oppor- is uh is an opportunity for you. The ones that are like like twenty five available decks and people actually play twenty five different decks, you cannot possibly prepare, prepare for, for them. them. So the answer is just to play the most brute force deck you can. Whether at, in like in Legacy, for example, if it's me, it's always burn or a combo deck. And burn is just a combo deck, right? Because there's just too many different... You can't tailor your strategy. You can't tailor your reactive cards. Like, how do you know which counterspell or which kind of removal card or whatever you should be playing? You have no idea if your opponents are going to play, like, Tarmogoyfs or Emrakul Cicerone, 
right? Yeah. Or no creatures well, or counterbalances. That's like you know? playing when I played Burn at Regionals. I played against, you know, a ton of different decks. Right? Yeah, but you played a brute force deck. Exactly, which I enjoy doing. But like a perfectly tuned brute force exactly. deck, right? Exactly, so, but that was a tournament where I played against, I don't know, like maybe 10, like around 10 different decks. Yeah. So. I mean, I really enjoy playing Burn, as you know, but that's because, like, it's the, in my opinion, it's the brute force deck that I'm least likely to make mistakes with. Yeah, right, so exactly. I think it's like a little bit less powerful than the most powerful combo decks. Mm-hmm. But in, in return, it's fast and consistent, and I'm very unlikely to make a mistake. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a trade-off. But it's not the perfect deck, right? Anyway, I am willing to concede that the better prepared player might win a little too much right now if you're willing to admit that banning Jace has very little to do with promoting more diversity. Seriously, prior to NPH, there were plenty of decks I never in my life won so much on MitGo as I did the week before my 5k win. And it was all with Pilgrim's Eye and Mortar Pod with no blue. I made a mono white. Mm-hmm. I also only beat one total primeval titan. <laughs> but that's what you get when you play to beat all the call blades and rugs only. That said, I killed all the pulse trackers easily. So, um, you know what pulse tracker is? It's, a vampire. So it's like the vampire. It's a vampire. Yeah. It's a beat down vampire. For the sake of an exercise, knowing we are now in New Phyrexia, let's go ahead and ask the question. What happens if we ban Jace the Mind Sculptor? The answer is nothing that anyone wants. Callblade is actually cemented as the be-all and end-all. It actually gets better. Without Jace the Mind Sculptor, Exarch Twin suddenly becomes vulnerable to spell Skype for the first time in reality. Making it work takes too much work. And all the good players on Twin become Cobblade players. Twin is still the most powerful thing you can do, so Cobblade, now with extra room for the big Jaces it doesn't have to play, sideboards, mainboards spell Skype, or does so even more. Net result isn't just a cementing of the matchup over the weakened Twin, but an invalidation of other strategies. How is Red Deck Wins ever supposed to beat Call leading on spell Skype into turn 3 Stoneforge Mystic? Worse yet, how can poor Monowite Control plan to kill all of Cobblade's dudes now that Spellsclite completely blanks Mortar Pod redundancy? How does no Jace affect Black Blue? Will an even more dominating Cobblade be better or worse for the already Feast and Famine vulnerable Primeval Titan decks? We've never had to deal with this, so I don't know if it's the case, but I'm guessing Cobblade loses its current draw and agnosticism in the mirror. And the mirror devolves from its skill-focused status quo. Most of the real dramatic wins and comebacks come from the losing player overvaluing Planeswalkers slash undervaluing mana and tempo. And that wouldn't be a factor as much with only Bellerin for Jaces and Gideon already out of favor. So I, I didn't posit that they would ban both Stoneforge Mystic and Jace the Mind Skull. Yeah. So I, did, I guess I could have asked an even better question. <laughs> That's true. So, so conclusion... Not only was slash is Jace the Mind Sculptor promoting diversity to an extent, but watching the metagame should tell us that banning it would have the opposite of the intended effect. Let's continue with diversity and the number of successful decks and players in the format with the aesthetic of this article for a moment. How about some more questions? Here's one. What do you think Larry Swayze is thinking about when he invents a consecrated sphinx or bashes a cobweed with his acidic slimes? Or a better one. Do you really think Patrick Sullivan cares about anyone's opinion of Jace the Mind Sculptor? Or Ember Hauler, for that matter? While putting together one of his signature winning decks? What do you think Patrick is thinking? 
I actually know the answer to the second question about Pat. Successful people ask better questions, so they get better answers and better results. Patrick, when he plays Magic, is just focused on having a satisfying experience for himself and has gotten to a point of actual reverence in the community for his unwavering lack of compromise. Jerry Thompson said that his red deck thinking is actually profound. You know what I love about Standard? It only looks like it's about the decks. The reason we see so much Cobblade, Darkblade, previously Angry Birds, is because Standard so rewards the prepared players. It just so happens that part of the best player's preparation is gravitation towards a particular consistent strategy. The same players do well over and over again, and they play predominantly Cobblade. Unlike many other formats, I really do think that this has to do with the players more than the decks. So a great deck in this case is enabling the players. You can see this via the sustained success of almost the same folks during the legacy portion. Let's conclude with another question. Do you know what game you are playing? Gwen Stefani and Blake Lively are two glorious blondes. One of them is Busty and Young, a television it girl. The other one is older than I am, but full of boundless energy and explodes on stage with enthusiasm and vigor. One of them hasn't yet proven her ability is not carried by her looks, though she may yet, while the other is already an almost universally acknowledged writer and branding icon. Whatever you think about the one, we can probably all agree the other is also very nice to look at. Interesting direction this article is taking. This is the tension magic currently rides. I love Ravnica Block too. It was something different and truly great, a game of skill and swordsmanship, where rolling spoil versus bat tokens matter. There really is something to a world where every card is about as good as a lightning The problem is, you can't compare magic today to that ideal. Post-damnation, post-Tarmogoyf, we live in a world of battle cruisers and planeswalkers. A year ago... There were lunatics that wanted to ban Bloodbraid Elf for reasons not dissimilar to the ire against Jace. The problem is that banning any one Tier 1 card will not give us back Ravnica Block. Nor is it fair to say that Ravnica Block was better than the current game. Battlecruiser Magic is just a different but also great game. I love Ravnica Block too, just as I like to look at both Gwen and Blake. There have never been so many players as today. Pushing the envelope with Tier 1 cards is getting something very, very right. The trick is, we have to figure out what the right question is to ask before we can get the data to make the decision that will give us the outcome we desire. Personally, I think Standard is great, so I choose not to ask a question. But if you think something has to change for whatever reason, make sure you know what it is you are trying to balance. It is just a normative desire to see more different decks and top 8 covers. Balance that against how you want to reward the players earning those spots. And remember that banning Jace probably won't give you the vague punctuation of experience you are going for. Love, Mike. All right. This is actually pretty interesting because we're talking about all the standard stuff today because I guess what I'm thinking about is people say, you know, ban Guardian, ban Gideon. I don't then know if that happens. fixes anything. No, because then, then black green is just... So well, here, here's why I think they didn't do it a few weeks ago, right? Because if, if they do that, then I think black green becomes really great. And Marvel's just insane too, right? So here, so step back for a second. Okay, step back. When I was talking about banning or not banning Jason the Mind Sculptor, there are a couple of different things that I laid out and I said, 
when you say you want to ban Jace the Mind Sculpt, what are you trying to accomplish? Okay? If you're trying to accomplish more diversity, you're not going to get there. Millennium, they did something different with Stoneforge Mystic and Jace the Mind Sculptor. We can. I, I thought it was a worse format after the banning, but that, that's so, not... So what happened <clears throat> after the, the... This is like before I started playing Magic. So what happened after they banned both Jace and Stoneforge? What was the format like? Cobblade was still great. Like, LSV top aided nationals with it. It just didn't have... Uh, just didn't have Stoneforge Mystic and Jace. It had just like cobblades and swords. Yeah, it just had Bird, swords, swords and Azure Mage. Um, one of the main reasons that Cobblade was so beloved by the uh, you know platinum pro level players is the card Squadron Hawk on Mulligan. So you could like mull to five, but you had a Squadron Hawk. You just had a seven card hand again, mm-hmm. right? It's just on Mulligan. See how sweet that is, All right? So it allowed people to recover. Also, Andrew Cunio actually argued to me later, like, he thought that they'd been, they'd made three really powerful cards that mm. were all played super heavily in standard, but the one that was the most powerful that no one ever talked about was preordain, right? Like, a first turn preordain greatly increased people's likelihood of playing a second turn Stoneforge Mystic or Lotus, which were the two decks that played mm-hmm. those cards. Like Grug and the... Yeah, right, Grug and Callblade. So, like, no one ever said anything about preordain. It was still there, you know, it was still still you know messing folks up and uh, there was a lot of skill to how to play preordain so you know that's just kind of set that aside for a second um i don't know i played blue green infect in standard a lot after that you know, which was great against valkit decks so valkit decks came back that was like maybe the second most popular deck after after um they banned it and then like titan decks like primeval titan yeah yeah but then there was also like Patrick Chapin and Michael Jacob made a, a rug birthing pod deck. That was their deck. Mm-hmm. And I played Blue Green Infect. Ali Trazi played Black Blue Troll. You know, there were, you know, and then, but a lot of good players still just played golf, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, some people played Twin. Twin like I predicted, Twin was got way, way worse, right? Because Without Jace the Mind Sculptor, Spell Sky actually became a problem. I, I remember I just beat every single person who played Spell Sky against me. It was just irrelevant. So they're leaning so hard on this thing, not really understanding what was going on, right? Like you could just play like a like a an Exarch and just block their guy. Yeah. <laughs> like that was, you know, it was like not big enough because Exarch was poor toughness. So um but anyway, uh and then standard rotated, and I think it just got worse. I thought that the, I thought the height of Callblade, like and I loved all the different Callblade decks that were like uh, blue white Callblade, and then like the black Callblade, which is called Darkblade, and then the red one, which is called Angry Birds. You know, and all these different styles, different sword selections. You know, they added War and Peace, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. I thought that was all cool stuff. Anyway, to loop it around, but that was like basically my favorite standard ever, mm-hmm. and. But what they were solving for wasn't any of the questions I was asking. So maybe my questions could have been better. The thing that they were solving for was that attendance was declining, right? That's happened right now. Yeah, so attendance was declining. But the specific reason attendance was declining was because the worst player very rarely won. So Cobblade was the best deck. So if you were Cobblade and the opponent wasn't Cobblade, only in rare cases, like if you're playing Exarch like I played, you had an advantage against Cobblade, but it wasn't like an overwhelming advantage. Like I always beat Cobblade, but like maybe a player who's like two standard deviations worse than me would have always lost to Cobblade, right? Sure. And I certainly didn't win every single time, 
Okay, like, but I won the majority of the time. My problem is then if you adopted Cobblade, if it's two competent players, the better Cobblade player won close to 100% of the time, right? So sure. It's like 90 plus percent of the time. So, so, so it does make like a good, that's why you like that format. Yeah, so I love formats that, they're, that reward the better player. But the games are all interesting, right? It wasn't like... It's not 100% always. Yeah, it was like 90 plus percent, but the game was 72 turns long, right? Yeah. That was the thing. Like, I remember this match. A lot of, like, decisions matter. Chapin's, like, mulls to five against Shaheen. Shaheen wins, like, the first 30 turns. Then Chapin wins the match, right? Like, just... He just... A little, like, one percentage point at a time. Mm. Has the tools, digs himself. And it was just about one disenchant. The entire match hinged on... On correctly playing one disenchant. It was crazy. You know, yeah. when you think about like the breaker cards being Jace the Mind Sculptor or Stoneforge Mystic, but it was like about, you know, the, the win was all on the margins and the margins were 73 turns out, right? It was, yeah, it was really, really, you know, and so, uh, you know, some players don't have the patience for that, right? Sure. But just to talk about this format, the 2011, you know, spring format, I remember going to, uh, an open in New Jersey, and Patrick Sullivan just came with like this Ember Holler Brew Red deck, ripped through every single Cobblade player, beat you know my other friend AJ in the top eight, and you know, AJ was playing Angry Birds, just you know just rocked it out. And just look at this format: great players are winning with Black Blue. Like Reed Duke and Jared Fabiano were playing Black Blue at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was playing Twin. People were making like hybrid decks. Infect was appearing. You know, like. That was a new strategy that where people was opting. Uh, somebody in Costa Mesa, I, I apologize, I don't remember his name, uh, played a green-white Infect deck, won us a, a real PTQ, playing green-white Infect at the height of Cobblade before any of the bannings. Like, that player has to have done something special to have accomplished that. You know what I mean? At the height of Cobblade. It's a new strategy. Green-white, not even green-blue Infect. And so I saw this as an, ex- an incredibly rich and diverse format. And so... The idea that you're going to ban, but what were you trying to solve for? And I, I didn't perceive it because, you know, Patrick Sullivan has often accused me of thinking of magic as just a purely intellectual pursuit, right? I don't think about it from the position of these are real cards that people really have to invest money in and they're, they're sacrificing time and money in order to play, right? And so I don't see that. Like, I just think like, oh, wow, I'm interested in the decks. I'm interested in watching the gameplay. I'm interested in the technology. Sure. I'm interested in. What can I do? And I, I was able in the context of this format to do so many interesting things. Right? I, made, I made this great deck and then I almost played it in this 5K because I, I made an even better deck. So I played that one, you know? So I saw it as super rich and other people just, they don't, they don't see the same things. And it doesn't make them bad and doesn't make me right. You know, we're experiencing different stuff. But the thing that Watsi was trying to solve for was the fact that tournament tennis was declining, right? Today, if you were to try to fix, quote-unquote, fix standard, and I'm not sure if that's the right term. I, I want to make sure we're mm-hmm. using the right language around this. We're, we're asking the right questions. I don't think there's anything wrong with standard right this second. And I don't really think there was very much wrong with standard in the Smuggler's Copter or Reflector Mage uh, era in terms of its balance. You can actually play, at, I don't know, at least five decks right now. Right? There's five. Let's go get some dinner. What happens it's like, Mardu variants and Sahili variants do most of the winning, right? But, but it's like strictly, you know, this version of, or a couple different versions of Mardu. There's at and least like, two 2.5 versions of Mardu. Sure, play, but right? there's only really like one, one version of Sahili. Fair enough. And like Rug Tower. There's like two versions of Rug Tower you can play. Sure. Tower. 
But there's like three black green decks that people were, were at least playing up until a few weeks ago, right? They're not doing yeah. as well right now, but there's ebbs and flows, man. There's ebbs and flows. I'm not actually sure what it was because black green is supposed to be the deck that beats up Mardu, and then now it doesn't beat up Mardu anymore. No. And then Saito, uh, but top, then, top 16, the GP in Japan, um, with like the Rug Marvel deck that I almost played at a, yeah. Yeah, New Jersey. Yeah, so there's another deck you could potentially play. And there's like, you know, I, I made some Marvel decks, right? The, the green-white Marvel deck would have been fun to play. Yeah. Pascal Maynard's green-white deck from the Pro Tour seems pretty cool to me. I'm not, the only thing that I, I, I totally get where people think that it's not as good is because if you're in a fight that involves Winding Constrictor, Pascal's deck is very, very far behind. Yeah. But no one's playing Winding Constrictor. So like, I'm not sure, like, why is this not something that can be explored in the context of the format? It's a really powerful... Part of Kieran's style strategy that comes at a completely different angle, plays a ton of great cards that are not seeing play in other decks. Like, this is a Lambhold Pacifist Planeswalker aggro deck. Like, it's really cool, you know? So from that perspective, I don't think there's anything wrong with Standard. I just don't have fun playing. That's I, I just think the cards are more in- intuitive, and it's easier to just kind of go... No, one... Turn one, yeah, I three, think one. Too, I use the turn two, compacted. three, two. It's so I don't mind modern being compacted because like I think there's just more things you can do with your time and your mana yeah. in modern than this these. I, I just feel like there, there, there's, there's, there's so many more way. constrictions on the standard format with, with what you can do. Yeah, so I don't know. That's the thing. Like you play a lot more standard than I do. Like yeah. think about this X months ago, you know, six months ago or something. I was constructed FNM every single week. Every week I'd play. I loved playing standard. Play green blue. Play blue red, you know. I played a couple different decks, but I played every week, you know. Won a lot, can't, you know. Obviously, but but doesn't mean anything. No, no. no. I, I'm saying we're talking about F and M right now. Sure. But right, right now, like we record on Friday nights because neither one of us wants to play standard. Yeah, so, I, I almost went to go draft uh, today, but there was no one like at the store. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So the thing is, the stores are where the small, you know, local tournaments. Maybe attendance at bigger tournaments are hurting. But GPs not, have been smaller, the, the ones I, I've been to. I'm not sure how to solve this, because there's well, nothing think, wrong with it's, the format. I, I can't think it's, it's not a not-diverse format. It's not a not-balanced format. It's just, I don't really want to play it. That's the... I just think maybe it, it's the cards they're printing, and they just haven't had a good idea of, like... Like, if it was Legacy every week, I would totally play. Sure. Right? But I own like two or three different legacy la- decks. It's like not supported. There's not. I mean, there, there are players. I think there is a store in New York City that, that has legacy FNMs, but it's out in Queens. Yeah, but I play legacy. I play. We if it, you play modern, if they if there's a modern tournament in a three state radius, you're there. You told me you were just like going to retire until the end of the school year. Like, oh my god, another modern tournament. I'm playing tomorrow. <laughs> Every week, I hear you're playing a modern tournament. Modern's fun. I like my deck. It's a lot of fun. It's fun, right? And you know, before that, I didn't really have a deck I liked, and playing Bird is the best. Legacy's just like that, except you also get Fire Blast. <laughs> it is hella fun, but yeah. the fights are the fights are tight, right? Like, yeah, it's not for like sure. you're like always gonna win. They have Tarmogoyf. Sometimes they draw two or three Tarmogoyfs, right? You, yeah, the match you gotta can be play close. good. I just feel, you know, I, 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 yeah, it's all about playing well and making the right seventy-five choices. But in standard, I, I don't want to show up for FNM because I feel like I'm not. There's not like a lot I can do. Like when when I showed up for F and M and I just was going like three and one or like two and three or whatever like non-winning F and M records like three weeks in a row. Like I I think I won one F and M with Blue Red Tower and then I just didn't win like three three weeks in a row or something. I was just like, 
I'm not sure if there's something wrong with me or something wrong with the format, <laughs> but I used to win consistently at FNM, and right this second, I'm not. Maybe you're just bad. <laughs> at FNM? <laughs> Maybe. Um, so... Um, so let's kind of go like full bad, circle. I'm bad. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe I'm bad. I don't think I'm bad at FNM. <laughs> like, that's pretty badder than, than I think I'm willing to, yeah. to embrace right All now. All right. So full circle, asking the better questions. We talked a lot about bandless and the, the state of I love standard. that Teddy Roosevelt story. No, that's great. I, yeah. I, I really like that. Um, like kind of a little reverse psychology there. Like, how do we get out of this situation? Oh, let's just flip it. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, but asking asking the better questions, uh, I think that goes. I, li- I like the whole uh, what you mentioned about cyborg preparation, tournament preparation. At least for New Jersey, that's what I tried to do with the people I was testing with. Was um, how do we have like how do we not how do we how do we not keep losing the four color? We're really playing Mario. How do we keep how do we how do we build our cyborg to better fight four colors of Healy on the play and on the draw? Like what choices can we make? What specific cards should we have? And you know, those are conversations I was having with the player. What's that with spell quality? Uh, Eldritch Moon. Eldritch. Because that that was in the same block as Archangel Ave. Yes, the Shadows block. Why didn't that kind of it? I guess that that was like only very good, right? Before a lot better, and yeah. But no, prior to prior to rotation, right? Yeah. Prior to with them rotating out Den Protector, right? Because Den Protector went last. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like, that was like only pretty good, right? Like people didn't even play it in their blue white creature deck. Either of those. No, cards. when Soul Clear was printed, it was it went straight into four color. Or the the um Yeah, but the decks that won worlds were just white blue beatdown decks. Right? They didn't even play Spell Queller or or Archangel Avison, right? Mm-hmm. They're like white blue beatdown decks with Cyborg Tragic Area. Like BBD's deck, yeah. So, I, like, I, isn't that like an indication of an interesting format where you could have played Archangel Avison and Spellqueller, but you had better things to do while playing a creature deck in those colors? Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah. All right, so Amonkite comes out pretty soon. Yeah, I'm hoping for some. But to... what what can come out of Amonkite that could repair the format? Because you basically have to well I hit think... the format with a gigantic metal ball. Yeah, and, and then that's the yeah because you have to you have to reset something. I mean, I'd hope there'd be a lot of you know at least five decks because when when you know when, when there's Amon... five decks now, it's just not fun. Yeah, I, I, mean, think I actually like five. I, I think it's know. really fun when you play Marvel and you win. That's fun. I that's like really fun, and I think it's really it's interesting for the opponent because the opponent's like in a puzzle situation, right? Like, yeah, what yeah, do yeah. I destroy before I get wrecked by this Marvel? Racing the Marvel, can I withstand, like, how many activations of Marvel can I live through? Sure. So it's pressure-filled from their side, but, like, it's an interesting puzzle to play against. I guess, like, playing against Marvel, it's always kind of like a race against the clock I don't, when you're playing Marvel. I think, like, no, I think that Mardu and Standard is, like, giving automatic weapons to children. Because yes, because like <laughs> that's what it feels like. Standard is, is like the child format, right? It's yeah. small, right? I don't have a problem with like a bunch of jackal pups and tarmogoyfs or whatever if we're playing Legacy. Okay, everyone is better armed in Legacy, right? Everyone's got got more sets to work from. But in Standard, if you're going to imbalance it like that, there has to be a counterbalance, right? Like 
And just having fatal push is probably not enough because the opponent's like 20 insane creatures. Yeah. Like, not just good creatures. They're all insane and they're all hella cheap, right? And then when you burp for a second, they like play Gideon. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, I, I don't even know what the right I, answer is. They have, they have heart also. Yeah. I like going back. To, uh, one thing I've been rewatching recently was coverage of like Pro Tour Gatecrash, Pro Tour Dragon's Maze, all the Return to Ravnica block stuff. Oh, like Tom Martell winning? I, yeah. I, I really like uh, the decks from like Pro Tour Gatecrash. There yeah, was like Melissa de Torres, like Wolf Run Ramp deck, like that, that control deck. That deck was really cool. I, I was actually in the booth in the open when Wolf Run Ramp was like first unveiled. Mm-hmm. It was, a, it was a pretty cool. But like Melissa's happy with that. There was different Jeskai decks that were really yeah, fun. There were, like there, there, there were there, three different Jeskai Snapcaster Mage decks. Like, like Jerry has some sick matches from the... Yeah, Jerry's had actually had the least powerful, most boring version of Jeskai you could play at the time. <laughs> I always talked to him about it. I'm like, why didn't you, like, have an infinite combo? There were a variety you could have played. <laughs> He's just like, I don't know. Just but, flashback, you know, you know yeah. Harvest Pyre. <laughs> there, were, like, there was a red deck in that format, right? There was, like, four, there was, like, Boros Record yeah, cards. there was a red deck. Yeah. There was a red deck with Rancor. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like red the, with, like... The red, yep. You know, like, like semi gru. It wasn't that gru. Was that the one with, like, Burning, burning Tree? That Burning Tree. Burning, the, yeah, Burning Tree came It had out. the pig. The, the, the Flint of War. Yeah, and it had Rancor. I, that I was like, a good deck. That I like that format, because you could play red decks, even though there was still uh, Supreme Verdict in the format. You could play like, Naya decks that were more like mid-rangey. You had your control decks. Yeah. I'm, your, like, I Revel- like, straight like, Revelation. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I played like a lot of uh, blue-white Revelation. Yeah. That's like the format I like. I like when there's a variety of like aggro decks, mid-range decks, and control decks. You're just naming a bunch of mid-range decks. Whatever. Like in the, the sure, format, sure. the format like axis is just like around turn four right it's a little bit faster than turn four or a lot slower than turn four right so basically there were thrag tusk decks right uh, like thrag like tusk restoration, restoration angel, angel. Oh. <laughs> i mean i played you know that's when we met when the when that was legal and standard right i played uh no we we met we met um i remember the term theros theros was legal and no are you talking about the the open no we met at an uncommons i was playing matt sperling's deck which was that was like uh, the Stoke the Flames when that came out. I think right. I had that in my deck. That the, that was that was. Uh, I have War Leader Celix in my deck. That's a Return to Ravnica card, right? Because that was that was. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're yes, right. Yes, that's literally what we right, meant. Because that's that's when. Um, but that was uh, after Theros Block had come out. Yeah, but I mean those. But it, it, it was still yeah, the RTR Block was still still in standard. Yep. But that was actually when I started like really. Re-embracing my love of burn decks. And then, I remember still having. Yeah, I remember because I, I I came to freshman year of college. With I, all my, I X won the Invitational on day one with the burn deck. And I played burn in both. Wheels fell off. Too. <laughs> all right. So asking asking the better questions, putting yourself in. So to, to I'm learn the more. curate. I like this article, so we read it. So what's your verdict? What's my verdict? Ramen. I feel like we talked a lot about. Standard, but current standard, yeah, and like and the standard that's mentioned here. But um, I think this kind of goes hand in hand with like the other articles, like how to win a piece. It's like putting yourself in the right mindset, asking the right questions, trying to learn, learn, learn things in advance rather than you know, yeah, water's wet, sky's blue. But what's your opinion, bro? Who's asking this? I, I, what do you, do you think? I'm not going to like any of the articles. Well, I don't know. It's your job to say if it's relevant. No, it's relevant. All right. No, it's relevant is an interesting way it, to phrase it. it. It's, it's relevant. 
um, no, I think I think this is a good article for how to make like to kind of make that that jump from being kind of a more casual player to like, oh, Mario vehicles just is so good, right? Like, just, I'm just gonna play Mario. To to maybe making that that jump to like going into a tournament and learning things rather than being like, oh, I got lucky or I got unlucky. This is kind of like what we talked about a week or two ago. All right, you get what I mean. We're gonna I, go with I, I, no. It's relevant. <laughs> am, I, am I not making sense? Am I rambling too much? <laughs> let's go get dinner. All right, let's get dinner. Um, asking better questions. This is Ancestral Recall. I'm Roman Fusco. I'm Michael J. All right, peace out. Right. <laughs>